1888 Podcast Network. I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why. Presented by 1888. Every week we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. This episode was recorded live at 1888 Center by Brew Sessions Live. All right, we're going to get started with our live The How, The Why, recorded at 1888 Center. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with Gabriel Gale, the creator of uh, the Ages of Oz series. Uh, the first book was released last year, The Fiery Friendship, and uh, his second book is going to be released in May, correct? May of 2018, yeah. Uh, A Dark Descent. Uh, Gabriel, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so th- this is a big undertaking. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking over a series or, or a, adopting a series that uh, has been in all of our consciousness for over 100 years. Um, but I, I'd love to know when Oz first came into your life, when you first discovered this magical place and, uh, and, and how it infiltrated your life as well. Yeah, so the first uh, discovery was the bomb books. Uh, and I would say that it was a, it was a big eye-opener because um, I had read before that George Lucas was inspired by Oz to come up with Star Wars. And I didn't really understand that. And then when I began to see images of Princess Ozma and her two uh, hair buns on the side, I made the connection between Princess Ozma and Princess Leia. And then I started to see the connections between um, C-3PO and the Tin Man and, uh, and the Cowardly Lion and the Wookiees. So I started to see that. And being a big Star Wars fan, I obviously became more interested. And then uh, that led me into the Oz books, all of them. There's 14 Oz books and Wonder Tales, which includes the Sea Fairies, uh, Sky Island, uh, etc. And then uh, that was sort of like the first little stumble down the rabbit hole of Oz there. And, and you consider yourself, or you are the self-proclaimed royal historian of Oz. Uh, so in reading all of these books and collecting all of this uh, uh, lore of uh, this wonderful, fantastic place, when did you start seeing it as something that you wanted to continue, uh, to, to uh, keep alive through, through your collection? Yeah, so one of the things that I loved about L. Frank Baum was the fact that he would take letters from readers, uh, from young readers, and he would incorporate uh, their ideas into his books. So Oz was very much a collaborative uh, effort for Baum, and I love that idea, and he made it where uh, anyone could be a royal historian of Oz, provided that you were loyal to the themes which was fun and friendship and unity and all those things. So that's a bit of a clarifier uh, with respect to the royal historian thing. It's any of us could be 
a royal historian of Oz, and I love that idea of Baum. And also, he was a uh, proto-futurist in the sense that uh, he was talking about um, uh, cell phones before there were cell phones. He was talking about all this stuff back then, and it was all a, it was all about a feeling of uh, getting involved with uh, the with the Oz idea through any medium necessary. So he wanted people involved. So I feel like he welcomed me a hundred years later. Um, so when did the when did you take up the mantle, and uh, at what point did you see? I want to tell these stories, and I want to continue this journey and, and, and keep this world alive. Right. So I would say right after grad school, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do after grad school. And you went to school for architecture, Architecture, correct? Yeah. yeah. I have a master's in architecture. Uh, before that, I studied film and fine art. Uh, so yeah, so th th those were, that was sort of the zone I was in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I studied architecture, and... I had no idea what I wanted to be, and then I, I had a very passionate uh, goal to do something with storytelling. I had no idea what it was going to be. I was thinking it was going to be movies, uh, screenwriting, etc. Uh, so I took up Oz because I felt like Oz was sort of the alpha and omega of um, fantasy, fairy tale, and science fiction in a way, because Baum was this proto-futurist, and nobody really knew it. Uh, so, so I dove right in. I did a... Uh, pretty in-depth deconstruction of all the books, and I decided that I wanted to play in that realm because a lot of, uh, a lot of these, I, I was passionate about a lot of the themes that were in the original Oz books. So right after grad school, I dove right in. It's been about 10 years. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big undertaking uh, to take this world and uh, kind of tell the prehistory of it. Um, and did you know pretty quickly that you wanted to follow the story of Glinda and how she became who we know of as the, uh, the good witch of the, the South? I, I didn't. I, I picked out a few character archetypes from the books that I thought were very powerful. So the wizard being one, which would be someone that puts forth an image that isn't true. Uh, Glinda, for me, is the exact opposite of that. So she represents the truth of Oz. And what I began to notice around me was that all of the depictions of Glinda were inaccurate to the original books. So I, I love Wicked, it's a great play. Uh, however, it is completely opposite uh, the character that Glinda is. So I wanted to bring it back to, I wanted to bring the story back to her roots and be true to her because uh, before, before we were talking here in the interview, we were talking about 9-11, mm. and 9-11 was a huge impact, had a huge impact on me, and for me, uh, the, the war that, that, that we're living is a war of information for me. And so uh, for us, the big determining factor is what is the truth? We don't know what the truth is. And Glinda became, you'll find in the book that the primary theme is seeking truth, mm -hmm. and that came from that. That came from that idea, which happened right around right around grad school for me. So I wanted to investigate the theme of truth and seeking the truth through the character of Glinda in the world of Oz. So that's how I got to the Glinda story. And it, it's important too. I mean, you know, we're in this time where we need these powerful female archetypes to influence and inspire young uh, readers and uh, young people in general. Uh, you, you just 
told me before we started too, you gave me these three E's of what you wanted these books to do or, or, or your stories to do. And tell us about those three E's. Yeah, sure. So I was actually, uh, this goes back to, I took a bunch of uh, film courses at NYU and Steve Tisch, who's like the benefactor there, was talking about uh, entertaining, enlightening, and empowering. And I thought that those three things are really powerful uh, for us to focus on as storytellers. And so the entertaining part is obvious. I mean, we want to tell stories that we like to repeat and discuss, so it needs to be entertaining. Uh, enlightening for me, uh, the, there's a, Glinda's weapon in the book is called Illumina, uh, intentionally, because it's the sword of truth, it's the sword of enlightenment, basically, uh, which goes back to the theme, the main theme of the, 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 this, this particular trilogy. Uh, and then uh, empowering, goes back to the fact that uh, nobody knows that the origin of Oz, or very few people know, the origin of Oz in its entirety was the original author, L. Frank Baum, being told by his mother-in-law, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, to write down these great stories. Matilda Jocelyn Gage was the most radical of the woman suffragists turn of the century. There was uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, there was Susan B. Anthony and Matilda Jocelyn Gage. They were the triumvirate. And uh, Gage was sort of erased from history by the others because she was too radical. So those ideas made their way into this series as well uh, because they're very empowering ideas. Yeah, and the, the female protagonist, again, you know, just having this girl rise above, it's kind of a, a, a reoccurring theme in a lot of young adult stories, you know, whether it's Twilight or The Hunger Games or uh, um, that this even Alice in Wonderland, you know, you have these females going through this journey of coming of age and, and stepping into their own and taking their own power. And I, you know, we, we, we need that. We need more of it. Uh, and I, I think it's great that you kept up that, that mantle. I mean, I know L. Frank Baum, some of his stories focus more on the Scarecrow and the Tin Man, uh, but uh, Dorothy was always that, that central figure of leaving them, leading the mantle. Um, and there's, there's something else to it. When I'm reading through this, you know, I have a, a nine-year-old daughter, and so I definitely experience magic through her eyes. And there's a thing about magic, and I had this thought as I was reading through the, your book, uh, magic is something that we can all believe in at a young age. It's, uh, it's all around us. We want the world of fairies and we want the world of, uh, you know, watching a magician do a trick and really believing that there's magic behind it and, and Santa Claus and, and this, this belief system and something that is beyond us as something that we can't see. And as we get older, we start to lose it. We, it starts to fade away. Um, and I know that these books are written for middle-aged uh, young adults, uh, but how do you how do you continue that magic? This is more of an esoteric question. How do you continue that magic into adulthood? That that belief in something that is 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 greater and beyond us, a power that we all have. What do you what do you do personally to continue that magic? Yeah, great. Uh, so. For me, magic in this series is a metaphor for the creative process. Mm -hmm. uh, so I break down magic into four, let's call them tendencies or pathways, I call them in the book, pathways of magic. So there's um, 
there's intellect, there's emotion, there's ambition, and then there's creating objects. Uh, so these are the four different types of magicians in the book series, and they correspond to sorcerers, wizards, witches, and makers. Uh, now this is something that uh, I adapted from one sentence that Baum wrote 100 years ago, uh, which is kind of the, the way that I approach this entire series. I would take a kernel of something that Baum would write, and then I would just explore it and expand it and try to make it as uh, in-depth as possible. So, so magic represents the creative process for me, and the way that I like to think about it and the way that I describe it to kids and adults in my talks is that um, here's what I've noticed the creative process has entailed in my life. It's been first I tend to get emotional about something. So let's say I feel like let's say I feel like the television is lying to me and I get mad about that, sure. right? So the first thing is an emotional response. Uh, so that corresponds to uh, witchcraft in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in these pathways of magic that I have. Uh, then I decide that I want to do something about it. Uh, so then there's this idea that I can do something about it, and that's a very ambitious idea because for us to believe that we can change our world is, is an ambition. Uh, and then I think, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? Uh, so there's an emotion, there's an ambition, then there's an intellectual pursuit. Well, I'm going to write a book series about it. I'm going to talk about the, the search for truth. Uh, through this uh, notion of Oz. And then finally, I'm going to create an object, in this case it's a book, that I'm going to be promoting around the country and putting forth the idea through this object, right? So that's how my metaphor for magic works through the creative process. And so that applies to kids and it applies to adults. Right. It applies to anyone that's creating anything, right? So, um, and that, by the way, comes from a deep reading of uh, theosophy, the occult, all these things that Baum was reading 100 years ago. We're talking 1890s, we're talking 1880s, something like that. So uh, they would have seances with Gage, they would have all these, all these uh, uh, theosophical pursuits, and then I would study that, and then that would make its way into the series. And basically, theosophy is the search for truth in, all, in any and all of its forms. Uh, so so um, basically, for me, the creative process is the search for truth. Uh, and so those four polarities, I would say, are the four things that I make sure I'm uh, pursuing whenever I'm doing an intellectual, a creative pursuit. Basically. It's interesting, too, because even as a, a creator or a maker of something, there's still that mystery of how'd you do it, which is why I do this podcast, that search for how, how, how did you do, how did you make this appear? Um, that's that, that mystery. Uh, I'd love to talk about your creative process and, uh, working and collaborating with, with Lisa Fielder and, and what that looks like of, of uh, co-creating something together, co-creating together. That's, yeah. 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 Uh, so I met Lisa through a mutual colleague and uh, we hit it off right away. Uh, I would say that we hit it off specifically with the most important thing that we could hit it off with, which was the main themes that we wanted to discuss, right? We were both passionate about the main themes that we wanted to do with the series. Uh, she, she also uh, is as passionate as I am, uh, so that leads to a lot of arguments, creative arguments, uh, which I think are good. I think creative arguments are good. Uh, and also it's a way through uh, never having writer's block for me because uh, we just will, we'll, uh, I came to Lisa with outlines and, 
pretty much what I wanted to happen every uh, in every chapter. And then she uh, would uh, come to me with questions, and then we would discuss for four to six hours every other day uh, until the pages were written. Then we would edit them, and then that's how the process went. Um, was she as big of a fan of the of L. Frank Baum's books as well, or was it something that she had to go back and, and research? She became one yeah. over time, yeah. She became one. Um, where, how far do you see this going? How far? What is the foresight of this series? Uh, is there an end, or is it something that will continue as long as the stories are alive? Yeah, that's a question I get from the kids. They they ask me, "What are you going to tell more stories about Glinda?" And I usually say that if there is another theme that would be best explored through the character of Glinda, then I would continue that character. However, for now, the main theme is Glinda represents the search for truth in a world where I feel we're overrun by illusion and distraction. Uh, so Glinda represents cutting through that illusion and distraction. So, so for me, I can tell that story in one trilogy, and then I'm going to move on to other characters within the Ages of Oz world that I could focus on. Uh, for example, uh, the wizard uh, or any other, any other characters who I can express a really powerful theme with. Right. Um, and you see all of this as the backstory too? Do you ever see yourself kind of dancing in the same timelines that uh, uh, Baum had used? Yeah, I do. So I wrote about a thousand years of Oz history of which, uh, and I, I broke it up into seven main characters, seven archetypal characters. Uh, and so Glinda is the third of seven. So. Uh, yes, I, I actually, the way that I pitched uh, Ages of Oz to Simon & Schuster was that uh, it's going to be fantasy, fairy tale, and science fiction. So if the series is successful, we can continue into Oz today. Mm -hmm. So we can do science fiction in Ages of Oz. So, right, because yeah. you see this, this first book as uh, 1700s in yeah. the real time? Yeah. yeah, I set it there specifically because of the Age of Enlightenment. Right. So once again, the theme just... Uh, so what I loved about having Oz as a backdrop was that I could, um, I could explore these themes in any sort of time period, and it fit because... Like I said, Baum was a proto-futurist, so he was interested in he was interested in technology, a hundred years ago, uh, and so he was seeing you know um, he was seeing what Thomas Edison was doing, he was seeing what Tesla was doing, he was really excited about that stuff, uh, and he spoke about it a lot. So uh, and and also you could see in his characters he has these you know um, what I guess we'd call now steampunk characters, but he was doing that a hundred years ago. Or like so, like TikTok. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so yeah. So I can see it going through. I could see it running parallel to the bomb books and beyond into Oz today. Like what does Oz look like today, and what stories can we tell? What stories should we tell through the lens of Oz today? Because Oz is, and you know, I never dove that deep into Baum's books, but through reading yours, um, Oz is the offshoot of Earth. It is uh, the elements that make up Earth were taken to create this wonderful, magical place, uh, but then had to deal with its own issues uh, of uh, good and wicked. Um, and it's amazing that there's this parallel place, and we, we all grew up with the story of this girl who goes to this wonderful, magical place, and yet it is, well, I don't know about equally, but it is just as 
challenged and uh, uh, broken and uh, uh, there's as much possibility for hope and, and, and good, but there's war and there's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a better place. It's not worse, um, but it's different. It's that escape. It's, uh, you know, and I think that there's something else to that magic of youth, of the desire to escape, the desire to be somewhere else, and then realizing, oh, well, this isn't any better than where I was before. Um, yeah, but once we're freed from the realm of the probable, we can talk about the realm of the possible in, you know, in much more uh, fluid terms, and that's what I feel like Oz does really well. It's like, yeah, you can have a character that's made of straw, and so to somebody that would seem like just a random concept, but Baum used a character made of straw to discuss the idea of where is the soul located. Right. Uh, and, because, and so the Scarecrow says in one of his books, he says, uh, I'm, what I'm afraid most of is, not, um, is being burned, because when I'm burned, I'll have to live as ashes spread across the world. So that's like a quantum idea. Right. You know, like where is, the, where is the Scarecrow's soul located, right? And so, he was, and so that's, why, uh, that's why I love Oz. It's that it just allows all these possibilities. It, it frees us from the probable. You know, and, and we can discuss any sort of topic that we want through these characters that we've grown to love for the past hundred years. Now, what did you have to do uh, f as far as obtaining rights to use these characters and use this world? How much of a challenge was that? And, and were you able to, uh, do you have the opportunity of, of being able to connect with any of uh, Baum's relatives? I did, yeah, that was one of the first things I did. Uh, not because I had to, because I wanted to. So. Uh, as soon as I finished my initial round of sort of story creation, uh, I took a ride to upstate New York uh, because there was going to be an Oz Festival and I knew some of the family members were going to be there. Uh, so I went there and I waited on a long line to speak to them and I showed them some of my drawings and I spoke to them about what I wanted to do with Ages of Oz, how I wanted it to be a... Um, uh, I wanted to take the mantle from Baum and, and stay true to his ideas. And I showed them a bunch of drawings, and they absolutely loved it. They told me something that got me really excited. They told me that Tim Burton had been there right before me, pitching, pitching them an Oz project. And they liked mine a lot better, they told me. So I was like, I don't know whether they told me that just to make. I was 20-something at the time. That's awesome, yeah. So it made me really happy, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. Uh, so anyway, so um, I'm sorry, what, did, what was No, we're just that. Yeah. The, Obtaining the rights. Oh, yeah, so uh, I didn't, do not need to obtain rights. It's in public domain. Right. I think um, all of the, uh, uh, the bomb books are in public domain. There was writers that came after uh, that are not in public domain, but I've focused exclusively on the bomb books, adapting the bomb books into new stories. So no rights needed. Do you ever get the experience of, of uh channeling this vision or tapping into the, the uh, uh, mind and imagination of L. Frank Baum? Do you ever have that or like your, I don't know, another esoteric question, but I imagine when you're diving this deep into a world and creating the history, um, <laughs> of, of building and creating this world that you would have to kind of take on that, that persona, like be yeah. in his shoes or be in his skin for a little while. I, I'd say that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. That's the best way of putting it, because um, 
it's not, for me, Ages of Oz was not about adapting just the words that he wrote. It was about reading everything that he wrote. It was about getting into his mindset. Uh, and in order to do that, I did what I, what I mentioned to you, which was I sort of uh, studied everybody that he studied. Uh, so the largest figure in his life was his mother-in-law, Matilda Jocelyn Gage. So she wrote a book called Woman, Church, and State. And one of the lines from the book uh, rings true today. She says, do not allow the church or state to dictate your thought or govern your judgment, she says. Uh, and so that was a major inspiration moving forward. It's like, and when you think about it, that is uh, part of the message of The Wizard of Oz itself, right? It's the, if you have the wizard be a stand-in for society or the state, uh, the main character realizes that the answers don't exist, that the state can't give you the answers. You have all the answers within you. So, so Dorothy goes to the wizard for help, and she realizes by the end of the story that she had the means that she needed the, the entire time, right? So that's really about uh, self-understanding and self-mastery. Uh, and that concept is something that Baum was steeped in due to his mother-in-law. Hmm. Uh, and his mother-in-law, in essence, was the inspiration for the good and wicked witches, because she was a very polarizing figure. Uh, so I steeped myself in that, uh, and so the words that he wrote just became a sort of veil uh, by which I had to see through in order to come up with the concepts that became Ages of Us. And you even have Gage as a character. Right, Which, yeah. Uh, now a, I'm, homage, I'm connecting yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's, 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 it's incredible. And it's, you know, in reading through it, it you definitely paint this picture. You know, I, I think the, a lot of us uh, grew up with the concept of Oz, obviously, from the movie. And, uh, and it's unfortunate that these incredible books are out there and we only get a little piece of it and a kind of a, a bastardized version of it in, in the movie and like you said, in, in Wicked as well. Um, I have an idea as, as to why that is. What do you think? Okay, so I think that um, Baum was a serial entrepreneur. He never, he never really considered himself uh, a novelist. Uh, that was one thing that he did. Uh, and because the first book was successful, he ended up writing more books. But I wouldn't uh, compare him to a J.R. Tolkien, for example, who his entire life was about writing, right? So Baum was like a chicken farmer. He, was, uh, he, he was, uh, had his own newspaper. He was a serial entrepreneur. Uh, Oz was the biggest success that he had, the first book. And then he decided to t roll that success into uh, stage plays and into film, um, and to varying degrees of success. Uh, however, uh, when his real success was the, the themes that were underlying all of that, right? So, um, yeah, in, in essence, I feel like he didn't get, he doesn't get the respect that J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or any of those guys writing, a, you know, around that time get, and it's because I feel like he was more of an entrepreneur than a, than a quote-unquote novelist. But with the power of the medium of film, especially where we are now, film, TV, um, is, is that something that you see for Ages of Oz? Do you want to see a, a visual representation made? Is it something that you, or is it, do you even care? Or you yeah, absolutely, on the sure. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, because I, I wouldn't consider myself a novelist. I mean, you could see in, on the cover of the book that I worked with a, uh, with a writer to get this done. And so I see myself more in the vein of Baum in that sense as well. You were saying like channeling Baum? Right. Yeah, so I am very similar in that regard. And I actually pitched uh, Ages of Oz to 
uh, Simon and Schuster and other companies as a transmedia property. So the book series. So what what I what I pitched them as was that the books were going to tell a story that would be continued in another medium. Uh, so whether it be an animated series or whether it be a film, it's continued in another medium because. I, I didn't want it where somebody c would compare the books to the animated series, like, oh, the book's better, oh, yeah. the animated series is better. I wanted it to be where we're telling a larger story through different media. So, yeah, in that sense, I do hope, that, that is the hope, yes, that it's different media. What's, you know, you talked about uh, George Lucas being inspired, and, and I think that what they've done with that Star Wars universe and being able to have your movies books, uh, the TV shows, all telling different stories. You're, you're allowing that to happen, and Baum allowed that to happen by creating such an incredible and unique world. Um, I'm wondering where you are. So uh, A Dark Descent comes out in May. Mm -hmm. Where are you in the development of the third book? Oh yeah, so the third book, I have it outlined. Mm -hmm. uh, so now it's a matter of, uh, I'm, I'm actually taking a break from the novel writing to get back to screenwriting, which was my original passion. I, I took a lot of screenwriting courses at Columbia. Uh, so I'm getting back to that right now for a little while while I um, travel around the country promoting the book series. Um, I've got one more question too. Well, then maybe we'll open it up. Uh, but how involved were you in uh, bringing Sebastian in as the artist, because the art in this is incredible, and it's definitely something that carries the story to have that visual representation of these incredible characters and the world. And um, how was that process of, of bringing in your illustrator? Yeah, I wish I could claim Sebastian as my idea, but he was not. Uh, he was uh, my editor's idea. Uh, and the way that would work is that since I, I am an artist, if you go on the website, agesofoz.com, you could see a lot of my art on that website. Uh, and in fact, that art was uh, what I went to Simon & Schuster with in order to get the publishing deal. I showed them art and an outline. Uh, and so um, I wish I could claim Sebastian, but I can't. I just got very lucky that my editor wanted to work with him for a while, and this was the perfect property for her to work with him on. So you brought a concept art and outlines, and you sent that off to different publishers. And did they say, well, we'll find you an author? Or did you say that, did you already, were you already partnered with Lisa? Did you already know Lisa at that time? Uh, Lisa, so initially I went to publishers with a outline and uh, the concept art. And basically the outline was, I had a very broad outline and a very specific outline. Uh, so I went with that and I got a publishing deal based on that. Uh, and then uh, when I incorporated uh, Lisa, into, uh, Lisa did some prose for it also. So then we went back with uh, prose in addition to the outline and the art, and that's what was the final thing that happened with Simon & Schuster for, led, led to this book series. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Uh, yeah, thank the you. series is, is wonderful and gorgeous and inspiring. And uh, I look forward to sharing this with my, my daughter. Thank uh, you. Gabriel, thank you so much for, for coming out and talking with us today. It's been great, thank you. This has been The How, The Why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How, The Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. 
please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center. I want to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.